All right, if you would please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. I'll be reading Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is Himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Father, we thank You for the creation of women. As mothers... Your ways are good. Cause us to cherish Your beautiful creation. Cause us to see and understand more fully the roles that You have assigned in this life and in particular for those who are being redeemed in our brokenness and sin. To that end, help me. Help me teach. Help me teach well. Help me teach accurately. May people hear accurately and not infer things that are not said to the glory of Your name. Amen. To be a woman is a real precious thing. In general, for every woman, single, married, young, old, middle-aged. And to be a mother is not to be a father because you're female. You're a female parent over the children that God has given to you. And it's precious and it's irreplaceable. I can't be a mother. My children know that. This is the third week on roles in marriage that Paul lays out here in Ephesians 5. And as I've reiterated over the last two weeks... The biblical worldview of male and female and of particular roles within the marriage covenant is just radically different now from the predominant secular worldview of our society. And to the extent that we as individuals and as local churches are not careful, the world view of societies around the church will always tend to slowly infiltrate the church. This issue of husbands and wives, male and female 
is not peripheral. It's important, in, in, in my mind, for two main reasons in why this is the third week on verses 22 to 24. First, because I'm committed as a pastor to allow the Bible to dictate truth. My life and my purpose is very personal in a core of what I understand the pastoral ministry to be is to allow the special revealed will of God in Holy Scripture have its day and speak. And that is, therefore, to trust it, to deal with it, and allow it to speak, even if it bothers me. The second reason this issue is important and it really matters, is because the culture in which we now find ourselves, and I even mean distinct from my own growing up, even when I was in my 20s. And I don't mean the culture merely outside the church. I do. I mean the culture outside of the church. The church exists in the world, exists in cultures. But I also mean the culture within inside the church. We live in a radically different time, not just from 2,000 years ago, but from the generation of my parents. There has been a radical shift in Western civilization in all kinds of areas which are all tending toward this right here. Relativism. That's a worldview. There is no truth. It's all Relative. And one of the ways we see that manifesting itself in our culture today is through what we call political correctness, which really is a euphemism for non religious, meaning secular, leftist worldview. And attached to that, is not women's rights. It's not the issue. Many issues on women's rights over the last century and a half have been fought and won, and every Christian ought to be happy about that. I'm talking about secular, leftist, radical feminism that has infiltrated the culture over the last 50 years in tons of literature, in the teaching, in our universities that teach as a given that there is no difference between a male human being and a female human being. Now, of course, I mean, look, it's just, just in the last two years now. My goodness, the, the denial of science and brain chemistry and chromosomes is ubiquitous in our culture now. Don't even assume it's obvious 
to all of humanity for thousands of years, that's a woman or that's a man. No, no, no. Now you're counseled in some schools. Don't address them by either male or female because you're not sure yet how they feel they are. It's the world we live in. And, okay, that's one thing, male and female. Then, (laughs) the idea that a mother's a mother and a father's a father and they're different. That a wife is a wife and a husband a husband and they're different. And they have roles. This is absolutely silly to our culture. The, The official statement of like many universities, but Smith's College, a, a, an all-girls and all-women's university, this is an official statement of this small college back east. Quote, To treat men and women as if they were different by nature is unjust discrimination. What is, I don't, if you mean in all kinds of areas, it might well be, and it might be evil, and it might be sinful, and it might be sexist. But when that means, I will treat you a woman in no way different than I would treat a fellow man. And that's what many of them mean. Let me, let me give you an example. I mean, just a couple of days ago, I was at my girls' softball field. And there are two bathrooms there, and both the bathroom doors were locked. And then a woman walked up, and she saw me check. Oh, they're both, yeah, they're both locked. And when one of them opened up, I said to her, go ahead. And she said to me, this is funny, she's very nice. Oh, you must have saw that I really need to go bad. I didn't tell her why I did it. Maybe because I'm fearful in our culture. I just, but I did say, no, that, that's not why, but. I did it because she was a woman. Now, I wouldn't do it if there's 30 people in line. It was, it was a woman and I were standing there. I preferred her as a man. That, in many people's mind, is unjust discrimination. Not in mine. That's the culture we live in. Within evangelicalism itself, this feminism over the last numbers of decades has been increasing and increasing. And at the core, many fellow brothers and sisters say that masculinity and femininity are irrelevant for leadership in the home or in the church. Most of my professors at seminary, were evangelical feminists or egalitarians. Here's just a gist of, of where many brothers and sisters are coming from. This is from the scholar Gretchen Gabeline Hall when she writes in her book, Equal to Serve. Biblical feminists lovingly ask the Christian community to abandon, here's a key term, to abandon artificial role-playing and to be sex-blind in assessing each individual's qualifications for ministry. I've attempted 
to show over the last couple weeks that Ephesians chapter 5, that Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, that 1 Peter 3, Colossians, etc., that the Bible is clearly teaching that God created humanity in His own image. And He created that humanity with two distinct type of persons. Male or female. And that with the two, the male and the female, He has ordained roles within the marriage. The protecting and the leader of the husband in the submission, loving, happy submission of the wife, the female. And that this is before the fall, not caused by the fall. It has been utterly messed up by the fall. Women who are sinners and men who are sinners. Evangelical feminists, one of their main contentions is no, it is the fall of mankind that has created these artificial roles in distinctions. But I'm arguing that these role distinctions, even though they are given in many abusive patriarchal societies are given by God and they are rooted in the difference between masculinity and femininity. They are permanent facts of creation. And within our Christian culture, we tend to hear Wonderful stories of wives who love submission, write books about it, happily submit to their wonderful, sinful, but wonderful, Christian, Christ-centered husbands. So, Shirley Dobson believes in submission. Married to James Dobson. Do people even know who they are anymore? Elizabeth Elliot, you're reading her book right now. Okay. And her 14 husbands who she buried. Not She didn't have that many, but... Okay. <laughs> to Johnny Erickson Tata. We can go on and on. And all I can think is how discouraging for many women that might be. They're not married to men like that. The Bible is very realistic. It knows that many times women will come to Christ and they will live lives, married lives, with husbands who are not born again and may not even be good. As the Gospel goes out, it converts people. Many times, women come to faith in Jesus and their husband remains 
unconverted. And Jesus was clear about that. When He said, do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two. Two against three. And the Apostle Paul knows this. And Peter explicitly, in his first epistle, in chapter 3, he explicitly assumes that many wives are saved and their husbands are not. Sometimes, the husband has been a professing Christian who clearly lives and does his husbanding as an unbeliever. And he's most likely one of the three soils, not the fourth soil, that Jesus talked about. So, when Christian wives are called to be submissive to the leadership of their husbands, it is because God has made humanity male and female. Their distinct natures, when they are healthy, lead to those roles almost naturally. But having said that now, therefore depending on whether the husband is a Christian or a non-Christian or the degree of his Loving, we're going to get to that in Ephesians. His Christ-like loving moral leadership, dependent on all that, her submission, all women who are married are called to submit to their husband, her submission though may look, practically speaking, very different in differing circumstances. So, because of that and in light of that, what I want to do then with the rest of this third week sermon is to say, what submission of a wife to the leadership of her husband does not mean? And, and then, what does it mean in its core? So first, it does not mean agreeing with everything your husband thinks. Or says. Now, why? I want to be biblical there. Well, because this is where I want to turn to Peter. First Peter chapter three. When he tells wives to submit there, when he says, so that you win your non-believing husbands is what he means. Okay, here you got a wife who loves Jesus in Peter's mind, and you got her husband who is unconverted. He is not a Christian. Okay. He has one whole different worldview than she has. He thinks one thing about the most important question in existence, and she has a totally different answer. And Peter tells her, Submit. Assuming, here's my implication, you think, 
I, I would say Peter's going to have to say, absolutely, Joe, you're right. Assuming she won't submit to his way of thinking about Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. If you follow that, then logically it follows that to submit cannot mean submit to everything your husband thinks or says. As your husband, you should think. It does not mean that. Secondly, it does not mean giving up independent thought nor independent choosing or willing. In the context of 1 Peter, the woman has heard the Gospel. She thought about what has been said about Christ and the resurrection and the implications of that. She's assessed its truth claims and we know God's done a miracle now in her heart. And she's, I, this is true and, and, and I love this. Okay, there she stands. And her husband in this context clearly has heard the same message. Clearly knows this is what Christianity is about. And he has not embraced it. Your chosen Christ is his Savior. Peter says, Submit. She didn't lose her independent way of thinking in Peter's mind. And she is not to. She didn't lose her independent willing in Peter's mind. And she's not to. Some of you might wonder, because in this church, I know that we're unfamiliar with this. There are churches out there, there are teachers out there in Christendom that would shock you at the, and I will say it, almost demonic kinds of teaching on authority and submission within marriages and within churches that won't stand up and it's abusive and it's sinful. See, Peter wrote to the church knowing that many of these women will be in the gathering when the letter is being written. And he's talking directly to them. He's not saying, let's make sure your husband agrees that you're allowed to hear what's written in this letter. There are men in the name of Christ out there who would contend exactly that. Don't go around my authority. And it's mind control. It's abusive. It's unloving. Peter has no problem going directly to the wife and telling her how to live according to the Gospel. Thirdly, submission does not mean the wife should not try to change her husband. It doesn't mean she should not try to influence his thinking and his living and his feeling. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Peter's whole point in that text is to tell the woman to submit to your husband for the purpose 
that you may be used to change His eternal destiny, to change His mind. This is how he writes it. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the Word, it's the way he talks about them being non-Christian, they may be one, W-O-N, one to Christ without a word by the conduct of their wives. So, look, if people don't care about context as they read the Scripture, someone might say, nope, wives are to submit, and therefore you are not to change nor are you to influence your husband. He is an authority over you. And it's all baloney. Submission for Peter is a strategy to change him in the most profound way possible to come to Christ. Fourth, submission does not mean putting the will of the husband above the will of Christ. In the context in which Peter writes, in many of these instances, the husband is going down the path of rebellion, the path of unbelief. She is not to follow him down that path of unbelief. The point is this, that adherence and embracing Jesus Christ as your ultimate authority relativizes all submission. For everybody, man or woman, everyone is in submission to somebody and in various differing kinds and levels in workplaces, driving a car down the street to the police, men and women... All Christians are called to be in submission to the Roman government. In the context, if you live that time. Or to the United States government, to the state of California, to the local city police. We're all called to submit. But it's not ever without having any reason to say, I can't do that, when what you are asked to submit to, like uh, Roundup Jews, the government says, and help us incarcerate them, or murder them. We are called to a higher authority that relativizes the authorities that we're called by the same God to submit to. And when they conflict, we submit to Christ. Always. And therefore, if you follow that, submission does not mean that a wife should give in to every demand of her husband. See, if her husband says, I'm an authority... I went to church that one day and I heard the pastor talk about authority in marriage and submission in marriage. And therefore, what I'm telling you is to stop being a Christian. No. 
she's not. She is to, in a submissive spirit, say, oh, dear husband, Oh, I wish, as it remember how Paul said, that, that none of the whole world and that you, my husband, would be just like I am, to see what I see and to love what I love. You know, and I love submitting to you. And there's lots of things that are my joy to, but in this I have to answer to my conscience and to a higher authority than you, the one who gave to you this authority. Therefore, I cannot submit. Okay, okay, that's, you can be a Christian, but I want you to stop going to church. Oh, husband. Now, it's, if, you, if I were going to church ten times a week and totally neglecting you, you'd have a point. But I go to church twice a week. And, you know, besides sleeping, I think there's like 120 hours of awake time that we have. I'm at church for three to four hours a week. I'm so sorry. I'm happy to be there with you for the 116 other hours. It's my joy. But in this, I cannot disobey my Lord and forsake the assembling of get together. I wish you were there with me. I wish you could see what I see. You're welcome always to come to my meetings. I wish that itself would be your joy. Or he says, I need you to lie. I need you to steal. I need you to commit sexual immorality in this way. I need you to watch pornography. You should submit, he says. She should, as Peter would put it, with a gentle and a quiet, non-warring disposition, Refuse. She has a greater authority who says to her, Women, keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable, so that when unbelievers speak against you, and it may be the unbeliever in your own household, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I cannot follow you into blatant sin, dear husband. Sixth. Submission within marriage is not at all based on competence nor intelligence. This Christian wife in 1 Peter 3 spiritually, is much more intelligent than her husband. There is a truth about why anything exists. And he doesn't know it. She does know it. If you want to put it this way, she is in her experience and intelligence and spiritual awareness, superior to him. Peter knows it, and yet says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. And we can go to, to, to area after area after expertise after expertise. It has nothing to do with 
intelligence or IQ or competence. Seventh, submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. This is huge. Because you have to listen very carefully. You have to be a wordsmith. Because the word equality is thrown around in our society, within the church and outside the church, and on many different areas, that people aren't defining their terms. And there's just little twists and tricks that happen in the mind. So, for instance, I just went on my phone and I googled two, three days ago. Let me just Google and, and, and from some evangelical feminists. And so I just Googled and what, let me just read to you the first thing that I Googled. And, quote, Evangelical feminism is on the rise and the conversation is getting loud enough for the most traditional churches to hear. Christian millennial women and men are joining efforts and strongly advocating for gender equality inside the evangelical church. Evangelical feminists believe in redemption, justice, and full equality for men and women in Jesus Christ. Well, I believe in redemption. I believe in justice. I probably don't believe in what they really mean by justice. I'm not positive, but I listen enough. Because they put an adjective normally before this word called social justice. Which means it's not justice. It's something else. I do believe in the biblical mandate that in, that in court you are never to favor the rich person against the poor. You should do justice. Nor should you favor the poor person against the rich. But you should do justice. And then this Full equality for men and women. I believe in that. What, but I know what I mean by equality. I mean, this is where... Let me ask you. Do you think that you are of equal value as a human being? Do you have equality with President Donald Trump? Or is somehow, is he in his person more valuable and higher than you? I mean, I'm wondering how you actually would even answer that. Well, the answer is, He is of no more value than you. But if you mean by equality, well, He's, it's, I don't like it, it's not equal, because He could choose to tell our armed forces to drop bombs in Syria. And I can't. That's not equality. What we're talking about there is, yeah, the roles are not the same. And there's a huge difference between equality of 
personhood and value and distinction in roles in life. I'm sorry, I never finished the quote. Let me go on. I'll pick it up. Evangelical feminists believe in redemption, justice, and full equality for men and women in Jesus Christ. They, that is, evangelical feminists, are passionate about the movement because they believe patriarchy of any kind to be the result of the fall of humankind and not God's original design. They believe darkness will not be defeated until the daughters and sons of God are united once and for all. So we must distinguish between different senses in the way equal or equality is used. Adam and Eve in Genesis were created equal in the image of God. They're created equal in their value, their honor, their importance. But none of that implies sameness in the essence of their masculinity or femininity, nor in roles. I think that those brothers and sisters who are egalitarian and who totally disagree with everything I've been teaching, I think their error is to constantly blur the distinctions and to assume that being equal in the image of God means that people have to be equal or the sameness. And it just doesn't follow. And if you get married, and to the extent you refuse to understand maybe she isn't another man with a different kind of body, Or maybe he isn't just another woman with a different kind of body. If you refuse to know that there's something about the essence of their humanity and their brain chemistry that is different, you're in for a really, really, really hard time of not growing in marriage, but growing distant. See, again, let let me give you an illustration of equality, honor, value. Everyone knows Tim Tebow. Even non-sports people, right? The guy who bowed and loves Jesus. Okay, you don't know. In his college days before, before the NFL and that became really popular, he is probably the most celebrated college football player in history. They won two national championships with him at the quarterback. Lost a third one in the championship game. He is utterly valued and honored, Tim Tebow. And so is his coach, but not probably to the same extent, Urban Meyer. Great coach. Were they equal? Well, what do you mean? It was all one team. People blocked for him. His coach and his other nine or ten assistant coaches coached. They're absolutely, they wanted together the equal, but they weren't equal in roles. 
Because the coach over Tim Tebow had all the authority and responsibility ultimately. He could have kicked Tebow off the team if he found cause and reason to. And to this day, Tebow will be more honored than Coach Urban Meyer. And a good coach, a leader, has no problem with that. And it's true with all kinds of relationships in life when it comes to responsibility for authority and roles. And you go to college, students, who do they honor more? Their president and his administration at the college? Or their teachers who have influence on them? And they remember them. And they might write chapters on them. Of course, who had all the authority? The administration over the faculty. See, don't confuse the two. The claim that if men and women have different God-given roles of authority and submission, then they cannot be equal. It just doesn't logically follow and it does not hold up in everyday human experience. So let me just say it clearly then. Wives in submission to their husbands, is never to be taken as to imply she is in any way inferior in personhood, in spirituality, or in importance. When it comes to equal in value, and more importantly, equal in salvation, through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is crystal clear in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then finally, Submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal, spiritual strength from her husband. We'll see next week. A good husband, a Christian husband, a godly husband should strengthen, build up his wife in word and Praying with her in fellowship, yes. But as we read 1 Peter 3, Peter shows that when spiritual leadership and nurturing are not even possible, they're totally lacking because he is an unbeliever, that wife is not at all left without strength. Peter is clear in his passage holy women. Who, as we saw last week, hoped in God is where she gets her strength. And the beauty of strong femininity, of a gentle and quiet disposition that is persuasive to her husband. So finally then, I mean, finally, that was the finally what it doesn't mean, finally. What is submission? 
I don't have a bunch of rules for you, nor for my wife. But particularly gleaning from nature, from femininity when you see it and the beauty of it in our mothers, our wives, sisters, women you hold the door open for. At its core, this kind of submission is a disposition before it is an action. It's an inner quality or disposition to follow. Now, in marriage, to follow the leadership and the authority of her husband. It is an inclination to respect his responsibility to lead. I just want to sit there. If you have a husband who loves you, that's an if. He loves you. And you know you love your husband. If you get that point with that word respect, as we talked about at home group, and there are books on the table called Love and Respect, you'll be amazed at what it does for your marriage. See, Peter's driving at that disposition thing, right? When he says, but let it be the inner quality, beauty of the heart of a gentle and quiet spirit. Because what he is saying, it is that gentleness, that contentment in Jesus for godly women that desires to affirm her husband's leadership. A woman who loves her femininity and takes joy in submitting. She says in her heart, I delight. I so delight, husband. And this is where women struggle because they don't see what they want. But she was, I delight for you to take the initiative, lead, and not be passive. I hate it when I, as a woman, am forced to lead in particular areas where I ought not in order just to make the family work because you won't. Femininity feels that. Femininity says that. It's strong. She'll get it done. So, as I'm going to close, what I want to do, I want to, I want to turn... To the book, Manhood and Womanhood, for a couple definitions and just, again, see if, if they're helpful as, as, as you contemplate them. Okay. First, in its most concise way, here's a definition of masculinity from manhood and womanhood. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent, meaning giving and loving responsibility to lead, to provide for, and to protect women in ways appropriate 
to a man's differing relationships. Now, let me, I'm going to make a comment here. Women, it's almost unimaginable for you to really grasp that that's true. You know what it's like to protect human beings. You know what it's like to want, you would give your life up for your children if it came. But mature men in their masculinity feel a responsibility to lead and to protect and to provide in a way that you don't. Okay, when I talk about it, when I talk about the difference between male and female sexuality, what? I'm visual too. Okay, yes, there's always maybe here, I'm not talking about 80% or 85% of men as opposed to 85% of women. Women know, you, and even many of those who say it, because they, they know what it is to be somewhat visual, they have no idea what visuality really means for men in that area. All I'm saying is that you don't know the pain and the burden and the kinds of fears and the kinds of thoughts that a good man constantly is weighing and trying to be a good man and protecting and providing, caring for his wife or in any other context, women. One of the problems about if women are fighting with men on a battlefield, hand-to-hand combat. Femininity. So at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm and receive and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So, let me just go through and we'll close. Go through that again. Mature femininity. Why? Because there's immature femininity. There's distortions of femininity just as much as there are distortions of masculinity and machizo and all that kind of stuff. No. This mature femininity means the way God intended or made. And so here's some positive traits listed out in the book Manhood and Womanhood. So the positive traits of a feminine disposition are she's responsive, compassionate, gentle, warm, tender, hospitable, Receptive, supportive, intuitive, sensitive, emotionally vulnerable, obedient, not prudish, she's faithful. Negative traits, though, of, of women and our sin, we'll let them go, is, would be she's weak. She's passive. She's slavish, weepy, seductive, flirtatious. 
She's a chatterbox. She's silly, naive, moody, manipulative, nagging, pouty, smothering, spiteful. So, mature femininity is a freeing disposition and disposition is key. It's so much better than here's femininity, it's all these sets of behaviors. Why? Because the world over thousands of years and today has various different kinds of cultures where femininity and masculinity will express themselves in different ways depending on cultures for one and then in particular where femininity depending on the kind of husband that one would have who is mean-spirited, abusive, and unloving, etc., or the opposite of that. It's going to come out in different ways and actions and behaviors, but it's still intact. It's femininity. It is a freeing disposition, quote, to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men. In other words, this is the point that at the core of mature femininity, it loves to affirm masculinity that is mature. Good, strong masculinity. It's complementary to it. Not just to affirm, but to receive. It means that mature femininity feels natural. It feels glad to accept the strength and the leadership of worthy men. And, and a wife is really happy when her husband isn't passive. And then it nurtures. It means that a mature woman, she senses in herself a responsibility not merely to receive the masculinity of their husband's and their sons, and many others, putting sons in there on Mother's Day on purpose, but, but she loves when she's in touch with her femininity to nurture that true masculinity and strength in those. And so, I close again as I started. Mothers, you're women. You're feminine at the core. And it is precious. And your children know it's precious. You're a man. You're, excuse me, you're not a man. You see, all of this anti-gospel stuff in the culture at large, anti-God stuff, anti-Bible stuff, anti-wisdom stuff. It is leading to, and it's already it's been said for years now, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have two dads or two moms. Just two parents are fine. No, it does matter. Because women matter. See, tragedies happen where moms die, but, but it matters 
that we don't want to rip the opportunity from the get-go of having a mom. You matter. Men are not women. You matter. It's precious. And happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, You are good. Your ways are good. That You have created us human beings in Your image to reflect Your glory individually as either male or female. It's good. We thank You that in the midst of all of our brokenness as men, all of our brokenness, sin is women. You have sent Your Son to redeem us. To make us totally and absolutely perfect in Your sight and right with You because of His life. Put to our account and that You are not done with us, but You are working in and through us. And we await the appearing of Your Son in glory that we may be caught up with Him to enjoy Your glory with Him forever. Amen. Amen.